Welcome, friends, to a new episode of Build Up One Another, the podcast where we unpack the stories behind our key relationships and how these impact where we go and shape who we become. I'm your host, Karen Temple. Our guest today is Mike Jarman, co-founder and CEO of TurboPass Corporation, a fintech startup based out of Austin, Texas. Now, Mike didn't just start up his career, quite the opposite. He's got over 30 years experience in automotive financing with Capital One Auto Finance, Santander Consumer, and was also vice president of dealer services for Regions Bank. At home, Mike is a husband, a father, a son, and a brother. In his community, Mike founded the Austin Indoor Soccer Center and is a member of the board of directors of Let's Play Sports. Ripened with both experience and a bit of gray hair, he's now discovering his creative side and has recently launched a brand spanking new podcast called Silver Founders Podcast, which brings together entrepreneurs starting up new ventures after stints in corporate America. Mike, welcome to Build Up One Another. Thank you so much, Karen, for having me. Um, I'm, I'm thrilled that you asked me on. Awesome. So, Mike, you've described yourself as a recovering banker. The way that it works in America <clears throat> is small banks tend to get gobbled up by bigger banks. And I just thought, well, I've seen this movie before, and uh, what what's going to happen is there's going to be panic on the streets before the end of the year, and uh, everyone's going to be sort of scared for their jobs, and it's necessarily wrong with all that, but it's just ordinary. And I thought probably time to figure out what the next move here is. Um, the, the particular role I was in was was managing relationships with, with car dealers, which I've been doing for over 30 years and, and, and leading some sales teams, but I was actually in the territory myself. Uh, and I just thought, man, I think in five years, this, this particular job isn't going to be around anymore. Uh, there's lots of uh, there's regulatory uh, clouds uh, moving in to our industry and uh, just automation, technology. These these are real structural changes that are coming. And I thought, well, you know, you were part of building, you were part of the past 30 years of the business and uh, still got a little gas in the tank. Um, and I thought uh, to, best to be relevant in your future is to try to build it, right? So we, um, my brother and I uh, set a date and said, we're, we're going to do this January 1st of 2017. And just with a little bit of sense of, uh, I guess, pride or, or, or confidence that we, we had a real uh, way to try to create the future as of only a few weeks away. So I, I set the date and I sent my my uh, resignation uh, to uh, to the bank. And and what's so funny about the the universe? You you kind of tell the universe what you want to do, and and then uh, somehow it 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 takes care of putting the the people and and the circumstances and the opportunities in front of you. And the irony of all of this is that within six months, seven, 10 months actually, of me resigning, the one of the co-presidents of the bank uh, that, I, that I resigned from, and he, this, this gentleman barely knew my name. Uh, he's, he's an incredible leader in our industry. His name's Dave Pressure, and uh, 
six months later, Dave had left the bank and I had had a meeting with Dave about my sort of vision of what I was trying to set up in software. And, and he was the first real big um, supporter and, and really mentor and coach when he, you know, it was really something to see when he said, Mike, you're, you're, you're absolutely on the right track. How can I help? What are, let's do it. Let's do some things together. And, and he became really our industry mentor. This is um, what any, any CEO needs is, you know, when, when you can't get the meeting, when you can't, uh, you don't have those high level relationships, but you know who it is you're trying to, to find, it, it's always best to, to go with a guide. And, and Dave is sort of that, that industry guide. And so that's kind of the story of how I become a recovering banker. But of course, my solutions that we've been building are all for, for bankers and for sellers of goods like automotive, you know, dealerships. So we're creating some automation software for dealers and lenders and consumers to kind of trust each other and make the transaction go a lot faster. Okay. So you touched on a, on a real um, tender point in corporate America, right? Where you have these mergers coming around. So in industry, there's seems like there's one of two flavors today. Either there's these mergers that are going on with these companies joining and um, the collateral human damage that often results, even though share prices might rebound. And then there's also another part of our of our society and in the business world where we have a lot of fragmentation and opportunities coming out. Um, the human tools really, it's, it's hard when that happens. I know even uh, where I'm located, we've had companies where companies have gone under and it is really challenging um, for people to navigate that chaos, especially when they've been either with a company or in a particular industry and all the changes that are happening um, being able to to redefine their path forward. And also often I find that people are identifying their sense of value, their sense of identity with their job. And so when that's pulled yep. out under us, all of a sudden we're going home and looking at our family that we're trying to provide and protect and nurture, and we're trying to discover who we are. So I love the fact that you saw this playbook happen before and you made the decision to say, hey, you've got 30 years of experience. You know how this industry operates. You probably know where all the pain points are. And so you created your new reality. And with that, your professional identity moving forward, which I think is a phenomenal story. So let's talk about TurboPass. Let's talk about what you and your brother are creating here. Maybe you can talk a little bit more about what was the problem that you see in the industry and how you're using technology to move with the times. Another mentor that that I have is our uh, CTO and uh, Jude Sampson's one of my guests in my podcast. But he he was another inspiration where he said um, the way he approaches technology is unlike a lot of companies that go out and build a product, and then everyone else has to sort of uh, conform to the product. He, he loves to architect uh, things that actually solve problems. So when you're building software and you're starting from the, from the, uh, the assumption that you're actually trying to solve a problem for a human, a human being, then that's a, that's a completely different way to build a, um, 
a solution <clears throat> than, hey, I'm going to build a product. We hope to scale it. People will use it or they won't. The pain that we saw uh, has actually manifested itself in uh, two, two big problems. There in, in America, in the United States, we have uh, not only the manufacturers like the OEMs that, that build the cars, uh, we have a dealer network of, of retailers. So those retailers uh, have a value uh, layer. Of course, they, uh, they, they get the cars ready, they clean them up, they, they service them, and they're there to be the, the point of uh, a sale and, and point of service for the OEMs. The manufacturers are really good at making innovative cars, but their skill set isn't necessarily directly selling to consumers. And so CEO or, or founder that's trying to start something um, it's, it's really awesome to, to dream of a new world that doesn't exist, but you, you really have to get in touch with reality too. So dealerships are the sellers. The seller of the goods uh, sometimes wants to offer his product to his buyer with some credit terms surround it. Like maybe you want to pay this over time for these, these goods, right? So that negotiation is, a, is, is kind of a different transaction than, say, a traditional loan, right? So a loan is a money advance. Um, so first, we just were very, very in touch with this, this reality of the market. Uh, there's a lot of folks that pretend to be innovating and they, they ignore big realities like this dealer thing. So these car dealers, they, they're, it's an easy target, right? They're, they're the bad guys. They're dishonest. And, and nobody wants to get ripped off. But um, you, the dealer is not a pesky middleman here. And so the dealer is the seller of the goods. They bought hundred millions of dollars of inventory from Ford right? Mm -hmm. And they've taken the risk now of that inventory and they have uh, floor planned it, they financed it, they took it out of their own pocket. And if there's a hailstorm, you know, on all those cars, you know, th the dealer's taking the risk, not Ford. Ford is back to building cars. So this, this dealer is also not in the business generally of financing the goods. So um, they have partnerships with banks and lenders like Ford Credit and, and others who, who want to originate assets, which are these receivables, loans. They, they call them loans, but in, in this sort of credit sale we have, um, the dealer kind of decides with, with, the, with the buyer. So the buyer and the, the, <laughs> the, buyer and the seller yeah. are the only two parties to the contract. This seller really has a ton of power when you when when it when you boil it all down, because not only does he have to agree with us with the buyer of, about terms that are fair for both, um, there's this other party over here. And maybe it's a bank, maybe it's a finance company, maybe it's a credit union that w perhaps wants to take some risk themselves and take that that asset. Uh, which is a receivable, like a note, right? 
I promised to pay for this car that was $40,000, but I'm not going to pay the dealer $40,000. The credit union is going to pay the dealer $40,000. Yeah. And I'm going to pay the credit union back. So that's called an indirect yeah. relationship, lending relationship. And so what we see since the 1980s, I mean, uh, a proliferation of, of, of financing terms that have allowed the OEMs and the, and the sellers, these car dealers, to sell a lot more cars because um, it's just what makes a, a, a booming economy and a, and a distributed market like America, 300 million people, uh, people got to get around. There's a saying in the, in the car business and in say nothing happens until somebody sells a car. Because when you think about the economic impact of what happens when, you know, party sells a car to another party, all sorts of transactions and, you know, downstream yeah. ramifications happen out of that. Yeah. So there's a big the insurance value agent, supply chain in there, right? It, All yeah. the way from the OEMs creates to jobs. The finances, it's, it's a big sector. Big time. So, you know, these car dealers understand the realities that, that uh, buyers and sellers, it's this private transaction is, is kind of a sacred thing between buyers and sellers. And we want to promote commerce as much as possible without people being taken advantage of. Yeah. But generally it's pro-business, right? Mm -hmm. So the environment is pro-business because the it creates jobs and all the things that we talked about. So we, we were just very much in touch with this pain that's happening in the business. In the last five years, we've had an increase in, in what we call automotive uh, origination fraud uh, from about a $2 billion a year problem to, I mean, it's just through the roof. It's about $7 billion in automotive origination fraud that is a, is a pull on, on the economy. It, 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 it makes everybody's prices higher. Uh, consumers pay more because there's this drag. 80% of the fraud happens in the form of income misrepresentation. Sometimes okay. asset misrepresentation. Yeah, on so the part of if, the part of the buyer. A little tricky problem here because could be the buyer and sometimes unfortunately could be the dealer, right? So the seller is incentivized to sell a car mm -hmm. and he may be in collusion with a consumer sometimes to sort of get together and say, yeah, why don't we just tell the bank that you make more money than you actually make I see. Um, because your credit isn't perfect or whatever. So, so we've got these mismatches of pricing where FICO is gore you, and that determines a lot of the things that you can do in, this, in, the, in the American economy. It's predictive technology. So it's, a, it's an algorithm that says, based on the past performance, this is what you may do in the, in the future. So <clears throat> there's a lot of problems with this in the industry, too, because the credit bureaus, the agencies that report credit, and that it's just crazy, crazy market, the furnishers, data furnishers are the lend, sorry, are the banks, are the lenders. They're telling Equifax how you pay your bills. And then Equifax um, without your real permission, I mean, they just 
they they compile data on you um, about how you pay your bills, and then FICO comes in and applies their algorithm to that and and scores you. Right. And uh, you, the price and your and a, and a and a consumer's ability to receive credit is is very much determined in today's world on this FICO score, this magical FICO score. Yeah. Uh, we just think that we're entering a new era, both from a data privacy standpoint, you know, with all the data yeah, privacy uh, issues. We're going to go there. Yeah, everyone wants to get your data behind your back and without your knowledge. And it's amazing what's happening with the trading of data uh, without express consent of a, from a consumer. And so what we see as a trend, and I think we, we're kind of on the right track here with uh, what, what's called, and, and, and we've built our software to be compliant with this uh, kind of philosophy, which is consumer express consent. So, and, and we believe consumers will share their data if it's contextual and it benefits them. Right. So we're kind of in a race with, with consumer um, express consent data, but you know, Cal states like California and New York will probably lead the way um, and, and kind of match the European model where you, you really have to give express consent and permission to see different types of data sets. Mm -hmm. um, so gosh, so I'm complicating the answer, but the pain is fraud. Yeah. And the pain is, um, you know, misrepresentation and dealers who the actual owner of the dealership uh, that wants to run clean business is kind of caught, caught in the crossfire. And then the fraudsters have shifted from the mortgage industry. There's been a lot of mortgage fraud and they shifted over to automotive finance fraud. Right. And right the dealers are starting to get scared because people are walking in crime rings are saying, or, or walking in with 10 guys all over the city of Houston. And, and, you know, you could still a million dollars worth of BMWs and Mercedes with a fake identity. I'm just going to walk in and say, I'm Karen temple. Cause I have Karen's ID. Three women are going to hit 19 dealerships around the city as Karen temple. And by the time all that paperwork gets to the bank, yeah. financing and funding and and processing those cars are on a truck to africa they're gone or south america or whatever they're done and right. who's holding the bag who's on the hook the dealer yeah i was just going to go there right so on one hand you have the consumer whose identity may be stolen or maybe used inappropriately and that that conversation is hitting you know absolutely new heights with gdrp and the laws coming down both uh, all across north america but I think back to the dealer who's financed to get all these vehicles from the OEMs, who's sitting on the lot, who has a lot of risk, and he's the um, seller. He's the, yeah, he's the owner operator, right? He's yeah. the one who previously was that conduit, that broker in the transaction between, say, the OEM and the consumer. And, and I don't know, like the, the car salespeople, like they're iconic, right? And I'm, they know how to move people and to be able to form that relationship and make that deal happen because similar to homes for the longest time buying a car was a significant purchase for a lot of people 
And, and so there had to be that trust there. And yet there was also this consumer fear that you were going to get raked over by the, by the car salesperson. So I want to explore a little bit um, that notion of trust between yeah. people, okay? And how your technology from, as I understand it, is really helping to build trust between those dealers and all the pranksters in society and the honest consumer as well. Yep. Do you want to talk a little bit about the human side of what your technology is solving? Absolutely. We, we, we observe, like, don't, don't you think this is true? Like the biggest thing that's missing from the car business is trust. Customers don't trust dealers, certainly. Dealers don't trust customers. I'm going to tell you a little secret. The dealers, the, the first lesson they learn in dealer school or the, the, the lowly salesman the first day He's coached, and, and it, it's kind of a pejorative. It's not, it's not nice, but there's this thing in the car business that buyers are liars. Hmm. Now, now, yeah. now this, is, this is arguable, but let's just say that from the perspective of the seller, he's like, say you come in with your trade-in, and you know you've got like $1,000 of maintenance you've got to do on the car, and you're trying to trade it in. And you're, and you're saying, no, I think my trade-in is worth $5,000. It's really worth $3,000. So the dealer, kind of the mentality of the dealership is, well, the customer lied first, so we, now, we're, now we're just going to lie to each other. Hmm. That's, that's, a, that's a good recipe for disaster. <laughs> recipe for disaster, right? So in the old days, we could, if you, if you, were, if you loved to negotiate, like a dealership was a place to go and do that. The thing is, 99% of people hate it and, and don't want to go through that. In yeah. fact, they're willing to be given a menu of pricing and even show you the profit margin that the dealer is making. Because these dealers don't make a lot of money on these cars, on new cars, certainly, but other products. And, and it's pr been proven that with disclosure and proper, just, just give the customer a menu to choose from, Mm -hmm. They'll choose some options that have value. If your products and services have value, people will buy them. But anyway, we've, we've come a long way from the days of really uh, deceptive trade practices, just things that are illegal in the dealership. So most dealers are running relatively clean when it comes to straight up federal law violations. Now, there's some shading of some truths here and there that they think is shading when, in fact, when I misrepresent someone's income to a bank that's going to buy the deal it's yeah. really a felony okay yeah. you could go to jail but there's kind of an understanding or they think there's an understanding that look i've done this for 30 years it's not going to happen to me this is the game so that's the thing dealers don't trust customers customers don't trust dealers and the banks have gotten seven billion in fraud and they pretty much shouldn't trust anybody at this point, um, but, they, but they have to trust and they got to verify. And what our technology is doing is mm -hmm. it's tying this human to essentially a, a, a banking relationship. In a, in a very quick report where in, in the very near future, we're going to have consumers that are going to want to, because they know what the dealer wants. Let me tell you what the dealer, bottom line, what the dealer needs to know. They want to know who you are and how are you going to pay? Very basic things. 
we take two hours, three hours, four hours figuring that out at, the, at a dealership most of the time. And if we could just get right to the truth, the customer could walk in with a, a code, a, a, like a Disney Fast Pass, and just say, I'm not going to give you my personal information. I'm not going to give you my personal papers. My name's Karen. I'm going to give you this little code. And it's 512-917-9498, Blue Zebra. It's like a funny little animal name. And so I'm the Blue Zebra, and I want to buy a car. And if you want to know who, how I'm going to pay and who I really am, because it I could be my twin sister. And how the hell would you know? I'll give you my code. Go go in the back and pull it up on the TurboPass. So a manager, someone who now is, you know, trained and uh, privately can look at information about who this human being is. So if we can get to the truth, now a dealer doesn't have to waste time Absolutely. with those two or three hours. He's distracted. By the deals he's trying to figure out, well, yeah. this person came in and just gave him a code. We decode the thing, pass that little code. The blue zebra now can live over at Ford Credit. It could live over at Ally. It could live at Capital One. And all of those lenders are going to see the truth about this borrower, not some made-up number that they wrote down on a little credit application that the lender sometimes – makes them prove it like okay this is what where i get around this term stips or stipulations banks will stipulate that in order to approve this deal i'm going to need to know uh, uh i'm going to need to get a job verification uh, right and a pay stub and a bank statement or something like this and yeah. then and then we got paper so which, so you've basically gone from what normally would take at a minimum uh three four hours to prove the person yep. is who they say they are, how they're going to pay, which reduces the risk for the dealer because it's now happening in a matter of minutes, which means that the, uh, you know, the 50 beamers aren't going to disappear across all of Austin. The right. bank is now assured that the person's not going to default on um, the credit as is the dealer. And the person has right, they over their personal data. Exactly. And so, the dealer doesn't have to store any personal data. The, right. um, in fact, they, they, some of them I've talked to say, I, I don't want to be in the middle of this anymore. Yeah. I, right. I, I, if, if I can just get the, the, the buyer and the, and, and the lenders to just you know, communicate, connect the dots, some dealers want to stay in control of that. Uh, but, but I say in the era of transparency, the, the web, obviously, the um, – you know, just, just anything that is flim flam or a scam, it's going to get discovered. Okay. You're, you're going to be found out. So the sooner you get to work uh, building something of value, the better off you're going to be. And so um, consumers are willing to do this in exchange for speed, transparency, uh, and, and, and no, and no hassle. Sounds, um, it sounds like an amazing transition, amazing change for this industry that um, has historically been based on uh, distrust to having more transparency and trust between the people doing the transaction. Sounds, yeah. it sounds, sounds really exciting. Sounds like Thank you're onto you. something. So you talked 
earlier about some of the key people. Like one of the things I love about what you're doing with TurboPass is that you're coming with such industry insights. You've, you've been living and breathing this for so many years. You're not developing a technology solution outside of the problem. You know the problem, you know the feeling of the problem, you know the people who experience that problem. And so you're really looking at this as technology human. You're looking around all aspects of it. Talk to me about how you're forming your venture team. How are you choosing who to pull in? How are you, um, how are you, like you're going now from having, say being responsible for sales and revenue numbers in a large corporation where marketing's over here, HR's over here, and now all of a sudden it's you and your brother, which is, which is great because I mean, hey, if you have a good relationship with your brother, obviously you have trust there, but now you're gonna have to pull in other people in different roles yep. and in the board and investors. Talk to me about how your relationships are with those people and how you're qualifying them. Everything that we find uh, that we're working on is, it, it really boils down to a relationship between one human to another. And so any, uh, whether this is a, a large organization, I think I said this in another podcast, maybe that I, that, that IBM or, or uh, uh, Peugeot or Ford, everybody realizes that Ford isn't real in reality, right? Now, what, what do I mean by that? And if you haven't read Sapiens, you should read Sapiens. It's an amazing book. Uh, Ford is a figment of our collective imagination. It doesn't actually exist. It's, actually, it's called legal fiction. Okay, but if I, if I ran around the street saying Ford isn't real, Okay. Now. <laughs> Somebody's going to say I'm kooky, right? Right. Well, what, what is Ford made up of? Ford is made up of people. So it, it all really boils down to relationships between people and, um, and communication, because all we have is, is really the language that we use with each other and our word. It really gets you in touch with how important word is. So um, I've just become a little bit open to and, and, and resigned that I don't know everything and I, and I don't have every skill set. Uh, and there's a wonderful video, TED Talk video uh, of Dr. Ernesto Ciroli, where he talks about, um, it's called Shut Up and Listen, but it's about the third world um, uh, you know, Western, Western um, uh, NGOs that give back to the third world and they build infrastructure and bridges and things in third world countries. And he, he, he walks through the story of, of uh, his first NGO project in, in Africa or something. I've, they have this, I you've seen it? Hippopotamus and tomatoes. Yeah, the hippos oh. and the tomatoes, right? <laughs> That's They're awesome. like, we could... Anyway, so, but his, his other point about the business side is there's never been a founder that has the three legs of the stool that he calls um, the three skill sets or the three sort of magical things that make a business. And one is, of course, you know, sort of the sales and marketing, front man kind of deal, and then the product person that builds the product. And then there's the leg of the financial, right? The financial leg. There is not one, he cannot name one CEO that is a superstar in all three. 
So, so for us, we just had to recognize what those weaknesses were. And, and another amazing reason why it's so cool to be uh, an entrepreneur in today's era. And, and by the way, Siroli coined this phrase, the new Victorians. So that we're living in a new Victorian age, actually, because this is what's creating the next hundred years. Mm-hmm. We're shifting from this, you know, the industrial age, right? Yeah. For, to the information age, but, but now it's just really going to get very interesting. Um, so, so when he says Victorian age, what does he mean? Because I, I think of it, I think of us as moving into the age of the creatives. Yeah. So the, the, in the Victorian age, if you think back to, you know, the mid 1800s, um, in, especially in Europe, right, in, in, in England, we had uh, not only, you know, loco- the, the locomotive, we had, we had uh, essentially manufacturing. Um, industrial. We had industrial. And, and that really is what we sit on today is our societies are all built on what was originated and thought up. And, you know, the fortunes were made in the Victorian age um, of what we, what we sort of, you know, from Victorians through the industrial age, uh, it's the new Victorians. And, and he's describing people that are creating the new technology uh, spaces and AI and, and, and a lot of that stuff. But, um, but man, I, I guess I went way, way above 30,000 feet, but it's, it's really figure out who, first of all, who you are. And then um, surround yourself with people that don't have, that, that have what you don't and, and, and try to build it with people who you trust. And it's a really a bonus when, when these people are already, you know, friends. So, you know, my CTO, the, the uh, uh, Jude Samson, uh, Jude isn't busy every single day building TurboPass software. Uh, in fact, his core team is focused on incredible stuff that's way out into the future. Uh, but he supervises my team, my core team uh, of, of development uh, players who are all really incredible in and of themselves. But as a strategist, uh, Jude is the guy I want with me from a, from a strategic standpoint and, and will keep me out of making massive mistakes is one, one of the big things. That's why he's on my board and he's technically my CTO. Mm-hmm. Um, some, some VCs might say, well, why isn't the CTO, you know, cranking out code all night? Well, that's not what Jude does. Jude is an architect and Jude is a leader and he's been exercising muscles for 30 years that I don't have access to. Yeah, it's it's interesting. So you've got um, Jude Sampson, who's yep. leading your CTO and is on the board. You've got yourself, who's knows the industry, knows how the whole chain works. Um, the front man. The front man. The front man. I P. like. P. Barnum. <laughs> okay, so you're the front man. Um, and who else do you have on your team at that senior well, leader? Between, between my brother, Ken, who's, uh, he, he would admit this, he's sort of a compliance nerd. He, he, he understands why we're all going to end up where, where we sort of think is, is coming because we just understand the business we're in. So is he and compliance so, and regulatory? 
Yes. He, he, okay. he, first of all, he was a dealer for 10 years. Mm-hmm. And, and he also worked in the early finance companies, uh, early finance companies that were subprime credit. They, they, they did some aggressive lending. But, you know, this all started out of my father and my, you know, my father's business finance company. Um, you know, my brother tells a story of when he was 16 years old and he got his driver's license. Uh, my my dad kicked him out of bed one morning and said at 4 a.m. and said, get up. We're going to get a car. We're going on a repo. A repossession? A repossession right. in, 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 in Miami, okay, in Liberty City or something, like not a very good neighborhood. And uh, and Ken went because you need two car, you need a getaway car. You need a, you gotta have two drivers. And and we we used to have an extra set of keys for the cars. And so my dad drove him to the, to the first repo to the house and they spotted the car. And my dad said, okay, get out, go just jump in it and go. And I'll meet you at the Seven Eleven or whatever. This is like a heist. You know, it's your it's dad and your brother being, your, your brother's sitting shotgun. Literally <laughs> we're stealing a car. He, he is stealing right. a car with my dad. And that's what's happening in the law until you call the cops and say, no, it's not being stolen. It's a repo. And right. then the cops say, okay, thank you. So get in the car. So Ken approaches the, the driveway. And as he's getting close to the, to the car, he sees on the back bumper, there's a chain and he makes a, a sound and there's these dogs that are chained to the car. <laughs> and he, did the, he woke up the dogs, the dogs come out around the corner and he's running as fast as he can. And he barely gets away from the rate, the reach of the dogs. And, uh, you know, they didn't get the car, of course, that night, but that's, that was his first sort of formative experience with right. possessing cars. Right, right. Uh, if you ask an old Ford credit guy, a, a 60, 70 year old Ford motor credit guy, the first training is in the uh, heavy delinquency collections department. You got to start at the bottom, work your way up. Yeah. You can you cannot be in a conversation with a car dealership, a Ford dealer, unless you worked all the way through the whole Ford credit system, in, and that's repos first, and then you go up up the chain. But um, Ken is very in touch with the regulatory environment. We have the best compliance council. So this is another thing, like when you need to be ready to answer the questions that are going to come to you by your ultimate customers. So the first thing a a dealer is going to ask us about our software is, what does Hudson and Cook think about this? Who's Hudson so, and Cook? So that that's most people wouldn't understand that if you want to get anything accomplished from a compliance standpoint, a product standpoint, you have to kind of go and hire the um, the. Um, Is that your regulatory firm. body? That it's the it's the regulatory okay. uh, 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 firm that's got an office on K Street in Washington, but it was co-founded by Thomas Hudson, who. Uh, and Robert Cook, and 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 Robert Cook wrote some of the laws in the 50s, or was part of the Truth in Lending Act, all all these things, and so American Express, uh, you know, everybody, you know, goes to Hudson Cook. 
yeah. for compliance. Where so for nine hundred dollars an hour, I get to I get to have them sign off on all of my you know agreements and my yes. technology and you know their their my point person actually used to be a an enforcement officer with the Federal Trade Commission. So when it comes to them asking, you know, my customer says, what does Tom Hudson think about this? Well, they just happen to be our compliance counsel. And so we've already answered the questions that are coming. And so people just calm down yeah. and they're like, oh, okay, okay. You're building it for auto, you know, for automotive compliance. Yeah. Because they all know that bad news and bad press and breaking laws is not a good thing. So, um, but you have to be committed to making that happen. And so for me to be able to answer that question sort of two and a half years later, I had to go and hire them. In fact, the first phone call we made when we did the exercise, right? So we did the mental exercise of how this all works Mapping. around the whole, the whole chain. It was, and we called Tom Hudson. Actually, I, I texted or I sent him a DM on uh, LinkedIn. And I, I said, Mr. Hudson, you know, I, I had no idea he would, he would respond. So, Mr. Hudson, my brother was a dealer. We've seen you speak to audiences, blah, blah, blah. Like 10 minutes later, he says, call me at this number tomorrow at 2 p.m. Awesome. So yeah, we did so the exercise with him. You're not messing around, right? You're, you're building a product. You're trying to, you know, you're, you've got the right team. You've got the right players in the core team. And then you're saying to yourself, all right, who are the stakeholders that I need to find out? And rather than, you know, um, screwing around, um, you're calling the expert. Yep. Like, let, let's, let's find whether or not we're compliant or not. Let's understand what we need to do. And let's hear it from the top dog, you know, not lack yep. of respect for Mr. Hudson, but let's hear it from him. Yep. And so again, pulling together the core people with the experience, as opposed to so many startups I see, um, but they're not silver founders like yourself. <laughs> They are, they are nervous to do that. And so they play around and try to get something. Meanwhile, they're not realizing that they're going to save so much time, money, pain, failed products, and potentially the loss of their business because they're not going to the experienced people. So that's why I love what you're doing with Silver Founders. Um, and it sounds like you're really, no, not Silver Founders, TurboPass and Silver Founders, actually both. Sure. I love everything that you're doing, Mike. <laughs> Um, you know, I want to go back in history a little bit, because you talked about your brother, Ken, um, you know, during his first repo with your dad. And so often those early years in, in our lives around family, and we're starting to figure out who we are and what we're, what we're meant to do. I'm just wondering if you could share uh, a fun experience, maybe from your own childhood growing up, where it really impacted the trajectory of your life, especially if it involved people. Sure. Boy, I mean, I actually, I'm thinking back um, of, of an event or a sort of a, like whenever, what is, what do they call luck? Like preparation meets opportunity or something like, I guess I, I got lucky. I think you got uh, that right. Yeah. Okay. Uh, in, uh, when I was in 10th grade in high school, I, I was, I was a pretty good soccer player and, and, and I was on the soccer team and uh, that summer before 10th grade, I guess, this is a high school sophomore, I had, um, you know, we grabbed a bunch of footballs, American footballs, um, 
out of the field house, me and the soccer coach, and we just decided to go and, and kick some footballs, like field goals, right? The the kicker, the kicking function of a football team. Right. And even though I, I, I might have played peewee football, I, I left that sport years earlier. And um, so we, we, we kind of had some fun kicking field goals. Um, and then, like, school started, and then uh, the second week of school, they pulled me out of class. My, my soccer coach pulls me out of class. He goes, did you go to the football game on, Tuesday, on, on Friday night? You remember, you know, Friday night lights in Texas. Like, that's That's it. Big. That's where everybody is, right? Well, I was a little kid. I was a punk 10th grader. Okay, <laughs> I used to be a freshman, the lowest of the low. I was a, a worm or whatever they call them. I'm going into my second year, and uh, did you hear what happened at the game? I'm like, well, I don't know what happened. Well, Ricky, the kicker, who was an old-style toe kicker, they called him, straight-on kicker, missed a 19-yard field goal, and they lost 9-7. to seven. Ooh. That's, that's bad. <laughs> yeah. That's Nobody. bad in Texas. And, yeah. And so, so my soccer coach goes, Farrington, the head coach, wants you to try out for the football team. Uh, he said – you got any of them sidewinders, you know, Don Gregory, those side kickers, the soccer style kickers is what, oh, he, what right. he meant. Okay. Right? So um, I, I show up the next morning in my soccer gear uh, from the, from the varsity soccer practice. And so it was in the track, there's a track around the football field and the varsity football, the varsity soccer teams over here on the left side, watching me try out with just a snapper and a holder. And then over by the, in front of me, the whole varsity football team is watching me try out. And so I, I, uh, talk about an audience, eh? <laughs> I have this audience of these two teams that usually don't mix these, these two soccer, soccer and the football team usually don't mix in Texas. Uh, we were kind of the low lowlifes too. And, uh, they, <laughs> They proceeded to sort of practice a few kicks and I kicked and I made, I was making all of, I was making them, making them. Hmm. And then. Are they, we were they in, pulling you further and further? Yeah, further back. They would yeah. back me up, make me up, kick it from the left side, from the right side, back, okay. back, back. And I made them most of them except the first one. But after I got the first one done, uh, anyway, the coach said, come back in the afternoon. We're going to practice with pads, full pads. So they, dressed me up in pads and this little runt kid in soccer in the, in the thing. And then it was like a full, uh, a, like a, a live play where, because now it's not about whether you have the technique to kick, it's whether you can block out all the distractions and make the kick yeah, in spite right. of that. Right. So, yeah. so, so they, they did the whole thing again with a full rush and practice. And I was making a bang, 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 bang. Uh, but like that, literally that Tuesday afternoon, I, uh, is it Tuesday afternoon? Yeah. I made the, so they said, son, can, you know, can you help us? Like they said, we want you on the team, right? I'm on the team now. But by that Friday night, sorry, that Friday morning, I had uh, been assigned several cheerleaders or whatever to make me cookies because the football players are made. <laughs> Like the football players are, are held up as these, these, you know, the, the warriors of the, of the school. And so <laughs> I'm just this 
You're getting fun. wined and dined by the cheerleaders there. The, and, and they're not even 10th grade cheerleaders. They're senior girls. They're, oh, they're the goodness. fourth year uh, cheerleaders. Talk anyway, about I, so my head <laughs> swelled up a bit that year. Anyway, um, but he, my my soccer coach wrote me a, a wrote me a letter. Actually, I don't know why I'm I'm kind of touched by this right now. He said um, he said, you know, hey Mike, I'm I'm super excited for you. Um, I know you can kick. He was an English teacher. He's a PhD now. Uh, I'm so excited uh, for you. I know you can kick. Everybody knows you can kick, but it's going to come down to you running out on the field. He wanted basically a visualization in the game. You're going to go out and you're going to, you know, the there's going to be a snap. There's going to be a hold. The ball's going to come out. And then who knows what will happen? In fact, the unknown is one of the great things in, in life. So just do it or whatever. And I mean, I still have that letter. <clears throat> but, you know, that, that first kick actually was an extra point, And it was a super short kick and it got, it got blocked. Like the guy came right up and, and I kicked it right into his chest. Mm -hmm. But the second kick, I actually made a field goal that ended up, uh, you know, being the difference or whatever. I think we won the, our second game. And I was like the, I was the lucky charm of the, of the team for the rest of the year. And I ended up kicking for three years uh, on, on the football and I played soccer, but um, that was like, just be prepared be willing to get into the unknown, get uncomfortable, and um, because it's all a test. It's all really uh, the fear is not even real, and, and the voice that tells you you shouldn't call that CEO, you shouldn't make the phone call to Tom Hudson. It's like, what is that? It's just a voice, right? These people are talking to other people that are doing big things. You're doing big things. Talk to somebody else that's doing big things. That's that's their world. So I don't know. I don't even know how we got started on this. Just that that was a young experience that really kind of gave she, me some confidence for sure. Yeah, but, I, I love how you how you shared that um, and how your soccer coach let you know that after that, who knows? Right. Yeah. Um, Fear, we all have it for whatever reason. And you mentioned the voices in our head. Um, fear and excitement are almost two sides of the same coin, right? Yeah. The, the emotions that we feel are really similar. And often reframing fear in the, as excitement has been one of those things that I've done to say, wait a minute, let's just, let's just call this crazy excitement. Right. And, and let's, just, let's just jump in. Because when you jump in, so up here in uh, Canada, where we have two months, if we're lucky, of hot weather, right. we, we jump into the lake. And the lakes are cold. <laughs> this is cold right. water, right? But you jump in and you learn to swim. You learn to move. And when you, when you go into that place and you can be uncomfortable, 
then you can watch what used to be your your um, your reality shift, like you did when the mergers happened time and time again in your in your corporate life. You were able to then um, move into a new version, like a new phase of what you want to do next and build it. And to think that that actually, when you actually go back, that that was one of those beautiful moments that a coach shared with you and wrote it on a piece of paper and gave it to you. And it's amazing when you actually get something tangible like that and you hold it. I, I think it, it stays with us more than something verbal that can come and go. Absolutely. And, totally yeah. right. And you still have it. Which it's a shows, gift. It's a gift. It's a gift. And, um, and so I always look to say, okay, well, who are, who are those heroes in our life? Right. And it sounds like that coach was a hero for you as I think. So, so many people are, especially amongst young people. Like when we see young people in our, in our world who are trying to figure and make sense out of this, out of, you know, the world that's unfolding and getting bigger and bigger and bigger as they go out into the world, we can really serve those young people and help, help them feel the foundation beneath their feet and know where those stakes posts are. And so that even after they kick, no matter what happens, they're still on solid ground, right? You, 100%. You talked about the voices in your head. Tell me about, tell me about that bit more. Yeah, it's, um, I've learned that the voice, which we all have, Actually, is really... I just got to pause you there. Sure. As a woman, we don't have a voice. We have many voices all going many at voices. sometimes. <laughs> well, this is even better news for, for women then because the voices are, uh, are, aren't even really real. And <clears throat> they are really our kind of our... Uh, survival instinct and 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 so we're constantly especially in the way our language is we're constantly just trying to fix things or survive so if 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 our if our voice is constantly fixing and surviving then our words actually come out as you know not very productive it's it's um you know maybe demeaning or cu cutting or or just petty you know that sort of that, that's just sort of survival language and fixing language and so um where 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 i'm going with the voice is uh what i'll tell you the voice also is 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 speaking about two things that aren't real either they're speaking about the past Right, or they're speaking about something out in the future based on your prior experience. Now, remember, the past again isn't even real. Yes, it happened. Okay, that was something that happened. But if you can separate what happened from what you made it mean, right? Because maybe we got embarrassed in high school in a in a play or something. We made it mean something about us, mm. and you got to separate what happened from maybe your story about what happened. So, the past isn't real, the uh, future isn't real. 
So guess what? We, the only thing we got, right? We have right now, mm. we have the present, and we have language with each other and communication with each other. So try to be present with who you, who you, who you are, who you have in your life and, um, and try to get out of your, your head and out of your voice because generally it's not helpful. It's, it's language that isn't helpful. So I'm actually in, in some very great, incredible mindset uh, work that I do with, with an organization called Landmark uh, Worldwide. And they, um, they just give me distinctions. And that's all I'm describing is some of the distinctions that I've learned through, through, through their work. I mean, they, they train NASA and they do a lot of uh, corporate training as well. But, um, but yeah, the, the voice isn't real. So uh, that's, that's good news. That's good news for, for everybody who's here. Oh, and it's not you either. Like we, we think the voice is us. Huh? It's not you. It's just a voice. I see. So almost um, it's associating the voice and what it may be saying, almost as though it's an outside voice, right? That's somehow coming into our head and we're holding on and identifying with it in such a way that we then believe that voice. Um, that's, that's a brilliant way of looking at it. I often think about the social conditioning that we experience, both guys and girls. Yep. And those are voices coming from the outside, whether it's marketers or parents or, um, you know, the bully in the school who's trying to shame you for whatever reason. And in some cases we're choosing to, to buy into that, right? Well, if we realize that, wait a second, we're, we can control what we want to take in with those voices. First of all, those voices aren't mine. And then we can choose to say, Hey, I'm not buying into that. I'm yep. going to create my own voice based on the, my experiences that, are caring and loving. So I often say to my friends, what would your best friend tell you to do from a, from a place of love? Correct. Right? Well, let that voice be your best friend so that it's, no, I'm not going to think X, Y, and Z. Instead, I'm going to come at it from a place where what would my best friend tell me? Well, she would say X, Y, and Z, right? That's right. Mm-hmm. That's, that's brilliant. I think that's really good for everyone to hear that those voices aren't ours. Yep. It's not, it, it, it's not even, yeah, it's, it's not you. Now here, here's the thing the, here's the bad news. They aren't going to go away. The, they're still going to be there because we're humans, but it doesn't have to run you. The voices. Cause I, what happened with me was I had a blind spot and I got in my head about what could happen and might happen. And, and I lost sleep and I couldn't rest and my brain didn't turn off. And you have to recharge your, your brain or your brain will actually shut down for you. So <clears throat> there are tools available like the, some of the work that, that, that I've done with, with, with Landmark. And it's just, it's peace of mind because now that I've realized like the voice is me, that's not me. It's like, this maybe it's the guy on your shoulder saying that guy's an asshole or you know um you're gonna get screwed or whatever like so so most people live their life trying to avoid getting screwed so they gotta either 
do it to the other person before they get it done to themselves. I mean, this is kind of a, a very American idea. Um, uh, zero sum, right? Right. And I just, I think that possibility is to try to live in this, uh, this world of win-win and actually where, um, you know, one plus one actually equals more than, you know, three or four or five. Uh, but you can choose who you work with. You can choose who you're around. You know, the, these are other things that are actually can be manifested in the present and in action and in communication. Remember, all we have right now is right now, and then that's gone. And then now we have another moment. Yeah, absolutely. Each and every moment, right? Yep. And how, how we choose to show up. And I love the focus that you've been making throughout this conversation at that ultimately it's about a human human interaction it's about the words we exchange and the action and behaviors that we do from heart to one another yep yeah so yeah it's just in being in, in integrity with with your word mm -hmm. so just getting in touch with what what is we we all want to believe we have integrity we, we're about our word but when you start to look around your life and you say you know i'll be there you know i'll I think I'll be there. Uh, yeah, I'll, I'll be, uh, I'll show up. I'll be there. And then you don't, or, or I'll be there at two. And then you kind of roll in about two Oh five. You know, when you are put, when, when you really get down to a mirror about you, how in touch you are with the integrity with, with whether you are about your, your word, you start to notice like maybe I'm not as, I don't have as much integrity as I thought I did. So every leader, every uh, CEO has to be accountable to somebody else and, and uh, they must continue to seek more uh, skills and, and, and distinctions. Otherwise, uh, someone's going to come and, and, and take what you got. And um, you just, I think, I think everybody certainly that would be listening to this um, and, and, and most of us want to improve ourselves in our life. That's just the human, I think the human condition. So. Mm -hmm. uh, I, um, the other day I was uh, listening to a podcast and it was, um, I want to say Tillman for Fertitta. Fertitta. Yeah. Fertitta, thank you. I wasn't sure how to pronounce his last name and You're making the says, rounds. Yeah, he is. But he said he'll negotiate like hell, but he'll always do it fair. Right. Because yep. at the end of the day, your integrity is really all you've got. And exactly. if you give that away, then what's left? So yep. often um, we get those first lessons from, from our mom and dad. Tell me a little bit about your mom and dad, because I know you said previously some real sweet words about them. I'd love for you to have a chance to honor them. Yeah, sure. I mean, they are... Uh... They're like the number one and number two heroes, I guess, in my life. You know, my mom's probably number one. Uh, she um, she had uh, rheumatoid arthritis as a as a teenager, and and it wasn't very, uh, you know, it wasn't it wasn't too bad for for a long time until she started having children, and and um, it it was just progressively got worse, um, and and so she's had thirty five forty surgeries uh, for joint replacements and and uh, it's amazing <clears throat> the level of, uh, of, of, of tolerance right pain tolerance that, that she can she can endure 
it's um, it's some really something to behold. And she doesn't, you know, she doesn't really live or dwell so much in it. Uh, but uh, you know, she, I think she has a very rich life with six grandkids now, and beautiful. Uh, and and the surgeries have at least remove the 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 acute pain of bone on bone right mm -hmm. uh where the cartilage goes just just disappears uh and then what's happened really throughout our lives is is just that we've been given a great example of of a marriage because my my dad is is you know now certainly her her primary caregiver and has always been uh the one that's um gotten the things done i during the day the years of being a provider and then and then um now just just being there uh unconditionally right mm -hmm. after 53 years and um doing doing the the, the work it's for better or for worse right in sickness and in health right so that's those are my 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 favorites so uh i guess that's that's what i would say about them yeah th that's that's a beautiful story every time i hear a marriage that is 25 years and up, I am just cheering that couple on um, because it really is a commitment and it's a commitment in faith. We don't know each other's journey and where it's going to go and we're definitely going to grow and we're not the same person we were, we were when we first married. But when you have that loyalty and that faith in the relationship so that you are there for sickness and health, then you really can combine forces and it gives you a Again, another part of the, another footing in the foundation of life, I believe. So, Mike, I, I want to make sure we cover your your creative podcast with your Silver Founders podcast. Tell us, tell us what you've got going there. I mean, I, I'm excited because I want to. Um, you know, it's a little strange for me to be on the other end of the interview this time, but you know, it, it's a little bit like our our brand. Um, I guess our brand identity or brand voice is to be a, uh, a tool for others to be heroes of their own story, right? I want others to be featured and I think I can get some really cool conversations going in a context where people may not otherwise share with me these, these things in like a coffee, like, is for people to tell their stories. And I got some feedback around that uh, with JC Gordon, right. who was on my show. And he, he, he called me after the thing. He's like, man, I, I've never been able to share like that, man. I've been, I've been doing this coaching and consulting for 30, 25 years. And I've never been able to like, I'm recording that for my coaches. And so him sharing himself was something that was opened up in, in a conversation where I was just, willing to listen and be present with him so there's a lot of power in that and that's all we can do is bring the world whatever value people have um and that's that's what's so cool about this podcasting movement it's it's uh, how powerful the word is right language yes. yes and it puts the human front and center again right so whether you're doing a venture or you have a business of some sort, um, it's usually the corporate front that is front and center because exactly. that's what you're looking to do. So paint me out. You've got these new adventures in your life. You've got the podcast. What other adventures do you have planned with, with well, life? 
Well, we're we're raising capital, so we we are. <laughs> I got to go out and uh, ask people for uh, for for money, but you know, this this is also another incredible era to live in, where where a a lot of people could give a little bit to help someone that's on a mission on a journey, uh, and it's not just about. I want my returns. I want my, you know, how, how profitable is this going to be for me? So that's, what's amazing about things like equity crowdfunding, which is one of the places we're launching our, our, our real raise is through a platform called uh, WeFunder. And, and uh, if you, you kind of tell the world, this is what we're doing. And uh, so assuming we, we we are we we don't run out of money before we find enough customers to keep the the lights on. Yeah. Uh, we intend to build a, a company of really lasting value. That's all I can focus on as a CEO. Uh, so value for customers first, you know, and 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 employees and and, and investors, uh, all the stakeholders get something out of our success, but. But uh, yeah, then, then hopefully enjoy more time with my uh, empty nest that's uh, quickly happening. And, and my wife and I would love to travel more together uh, now that the kiddos are, are not as much of a, you know, urgent priority. So. Right, right. Excellent. Excellent. Well, you know, I, I really, I believe that with the culture that you're building and the example you're setting as a CEO to have a human-centered venture um, based on communication, based on the values that you've articulated here, that you will attract the right people to be the investors, to be um, part of your team, to be also the consumers and, and just the entire human component that's going to be coming around Thank your you. opportunity. Karen, um, I appreciate yeah. you saying that. I acknowledge you for, for, for your approach and 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 how um how well you see things uh with with, with clarity and uh, i love the values of your of your podcast as well and uh, i'm super intrigued by the way you're approaching this uh kind of the behind the scenes players that are that are always helping um you know they're they're the unsung heroes sometimes i'd love to hear more stories about them we we are all heroes to one another Right. And yep. so I love it. We have our own journey. And then there are all these people who are on our sidelines who in turn have their journey. And I think that's what's really beautiful about life. And, and so Mike, I, I really want to just honor also you and acknowledge you for sharing, sharing the relationship you have with yourself, including the voice. Glad you don't have too many of them um, in, in your head and also putting a spotlight on those heroes that are coming around your venture and also the heroes in your personal life, because these are all so valuable in helping us to go through our life in a way that is impactful. So where can people find you? Thank you. Well, I have, I guess, um, mainly I'm on LinkedIn and, and Facebook, but uh, our, our company is, uh, our website is, is nostips.com. That's N-O-S-T-I-P-S, uh, but but I, I think I'm I go by Mike Jarman on uh, LinkedIn, and Michael Jarman on on Facebook in Austin. So 
yeah, nostips.com is where our, our, our product is and also our WeFunder page. Uh, or I, I just encourage people to check out WeFunder and see all sorts of cool startups and people that are in different phases. Uh, and it's becoming a real viable thing. So wefunder.com forward slash TurboPass is where our deal page is. Awesome. So we're going to put those in the show notes so that it makes it real easy for people who want to follow up with you. Sweet. And, and so folks out there, um, by building relationships with one another, we can merge our jet streams and do magical things together. And when you find your fuel is beginning to run out and your journey may be nearing its end, I guarantee you, you will discover blessings more beautiful than you can ever imagine. We would love to know what you think of this podcast. So please let us know what you think by rating, sharing, reviewing, subscribing, and following us, Apple iTunes. All the links are below. So until next time, be well, my friend, and go build up one another.